to In the Newsroom, a weekly podcast by the East Oregonian and Hermiston Herald. I am editor Andrew Cutler, and today we are joined by uh, East Oregonian reporters Alex Castle, Antonio Sierra, Jade McDowell, and East Oregonian uh, report, uh, photographer Ben Lonergan, and Grand Observer editor Phil Wright. Welcome, everybody, to In the Newsroom. Yes. <laughs> we, had, we are socially distancing at six feet uh, here in the studio, but glad to have everybody on board. And today we thought we'd talk about the protests going on uh, in eastern Oregon. Uh, we had a couple over the weekend in Hermiston and Pendleton. Uh, LeGrand had one last night as we were, are recording this. So uh, protests going on. Let's talk about the first. Let's kind of recap what's gone on so far. And we'll start with Hermiston. Uh, that was really the big one on Saturday that drew a lot of interest leading into it. Uh, Jade, you want to kind of touch on what happened and kind of where we are after that that protest? Yeah, so we had the Hermiston Freedom Rally. Uh, they definitely started out a couple of weeks ago, probably more than two weeks ago. I did an interview with a Princeton resident named Colin Hodge about his concerns about businesses not being able to open back up quickly enough and the damage that it was doing to that. He was very against COVID-19 restrictions in general, thought we should jump straight back into mass gatherings, hold, hold Whiskey Fest, hold the Umatilla County Fair, all those things. And so uh, he found a lot of other like-minded people on Facebook. They started this rally that uh, turned into per something pretty big, started attracting attention from people out of town, including Joey Gibson was probably the biggest name and that attracted some concerns also on Facebook. There were other people pushing back saying, hey, this guy has a history of some violent clashes with Antifa and, and other groups in Portland, and we're not sure we really want that here in Hermes. And so there was some anxiety there. Uh, and I really saw on Facebook the last two or three days before the rally as people were pushing, hey, you should really come out to this. A lot of the organizers really said, we don't want this to be violent. You know, we, we don't, this is just going to be an information sharing event. You can come and you can listen to some speakers. It's not a rally. It's not a protest. And uh, it, it did, did turn out to be pretty calm. There was a counter protester that showed up with a sign. There were some, a few people that drove by and yelled things, but you know, it definitely none of what you've seen with some of the other anti COVID-19 restriction protests in larger cities where people are just screaming in the faces of cops and media and storming courthouses and those sorts of things. Uh, it was very, it's much calmer than that. Uh, and I was there live tweeting it. Alex was there interviewing people for a story and Ben was taking photos. I also headed over to a counter protest that had started uh, called the essential not sacrificial protest. And they were driving in their cars through town with signs uh, in support of workers who are concerned that restrictions are lifting too fast or they think that it's lifting at the right pace and wouldn't want to see it go any faster. And so they decided that they were going to take a completely different route than where the Freedom Rally was and just 
avoid it altogether, not drive past it. And so there wasn't really any confrontation that I saw between any members of the two parties. And I, I think this is an important thing to add about the, the Freedom Rally on Saturday, especially as we, we start talking about some of these other protests that have happened since, is how much the context around that protest has changed, especially in the days leading up to it with the, the killing of George Floyd and the, the civil unrest that, uh, that started all across the country in the, the days leading up to it. And I think if, I, if my memory is right, and the last couple of days have been pretty hard, uh, I've all blended together, but I think it was really last Friday was when the, the protests and uh, if you want to call them riots, where they really started becoming riots, that's, where, that's when that really started was the night before that rally. Um, and not that the rally really addressed any of these other protests or issues that, uh, you know, um, were going on at the time or that have, uh, are in the uh, discussion now, they, it, it does, I think just adds a different layer once, uh, once all of that happened. And I think it's, it offers an interesting kind of compare and contrast of what these rallies and protests were about while uh, also just showing another instance of protesting and really civil unrest from, from people all across the country, even out here in Eastern Oregon. Which brings us into Monday and Tuesday in Pendleton and LaGrande, where we had a couple of Black Lives Matters rallies. We'll start with Monday in, in Pendleton. Antonio, you were there. What did you see? Yeah, so uh, this was started uh, by a local resident who uh, didn't anticipate as many people coming out, but uh, I think the estimate, the final estimate, is pro probably, depending on who you ask, somewhere between 150 and 200 people showed up at Roy Rayleigh Park. Um, it was a pretty, I wouldn't say informal, but it was pretty loosely structured. It was just a bunch of people gathering in an area, um, chanting messages like Black Lives Matter and no justice, no peace. And uh, yeah, it was uh, probably one of the more significant demonstrations since 2018 when we had the last uh, women's march um, but it was a pretty, uh, like the Hermiston event, it was a pretty calm affair. Um, I guess not in terms of the message that the protesters were trying to convey, but uh, there was a pretty, you know, demonstrable lack of tension between law enforcement and the protesters. Um, there were several cars in the park, uh, several police vehicles, but uh, that they kind of thinned out as the event went along. And then when the event unexpectedly lurched toward becoming a march toward Main Street. It was, um, there's kind of a heightened police presence, but again, they, no one was arguing with each other. I think the biggest thing I saw was a uh, police officer just urging some of the demonstrators to stay on the sidewalk and not walk up and down the gutter to lead chants. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, it was a pretty straightforward affair. It was uh, you know, there weren't really, uh, I've been here since 2014. Um, there weren't really uh, a lot of demonstrations uh, until I say about 2017 um, when Donald Trump took office. And then suddenly there were kind of several different rounds of, of liberal protests and left-leaning protests. Um, but this one was a little different in the sense that the uh, people participating uh, skewed a lot younger. It was a more diverse uh, group of people. Um, and there was definitely a, a larger sense of anger um, and um, excitement rather than some of the other ones, which kind of almost felt a little more celebratory. Um, 
you always just got the sense that people were happy that there were other people who felt the same way they did um, and, uh, you know, were a little more liberal in an area that's pretty strongly conservative um, in most other aspects. So I guess that brings us to LeGrand. Uh, you guys, Phil, had a yeah. rally last night in downtown, uh, had multiple reporters out. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened in LeGrand last night. So this was a, a, an extension or a reaction to what happened on uh, Saturday. A local girl Saturday organized a small protest. About 20 people showed up. That was pro- they, they were protesting for racial equity. Um, one of the folks involved in that protest put the word out about, let's do this again Tuesday when more people could be there. And more people showed up. At, uh, estimates of 200 plus people are probably reasonable. Um, they, they marched, they, they basically were downtown on Adams Avenue, but they at some, toward the beginning of it, they, they marched, uh, across town. Um, there was, there was a, a certain degree of enthusiasm, but there were folks who were, uh, they were, they were angry and, and not unreasonably, you know, the, uh, their, you know, chance of black lives matter, uh, chance of, I can't breathe, uh, you know, echoing, uh, sort of Pendleton's with, uh, no, no, no justice, no peace. Um, they they gathered predominantly around the uh, the city hall, which is a, a, a main a center, a main intersection in Lagrand. Um, about the most tension that came out of this with police were were when officers had to tell folks don't get so much into traffic, back off. Um, they they received a lot of uh, a, a lot of support from drivers by um, the the one. One serious confrontation came from a, from a local guy who showed up with his own agenda and uh, was was uh, packing a, an AR-15 on his shoulder, although there was no magazine in the gun. Um, these were most of the protesters were young college kids, so they're used to um, you know arguing and, and keen on getting their point across. A lot of them argued with this guy for a while. They finally sort of realized that. that he had managed to co-op what they were trying to do, and so they ignored him. But he didn't go away entirely, and, uh, and, and neither did all the protesters. It ended up with, uh, finally, a physical confrontation. Police had to intervene, um, broke up a, a melee, and uh, they hauled him off. But they let the police let the protesters who were involved with this guy, they let them all come back. Uh, and that was, uh, there was really the... Uh, uh, I think Antonio, you said something about a lack of tension. I think that was that, that's an apt description of what happened here. The the relationship between the the protesters and the police here um, was cordial. Uh, the, the, a lot of the cops uh, talked to the protesters, and the protesters talked to a lot of the cops. There were some who were who were well known and popular, and so they uh, you know the, the, they were sort of little stars in those moments. But um, the Later on toward this thing, as, as, probably as it got to the 7 o'clock hour, other locals showed up. There was, there was an odd rumor that went around, apparently, on social media that members of Antifa had bust in folks to this thing. And so a bunch of guys packing heat uh, showed up in case something went out of control. Um, nothing did. The, the protests never had the feeling that they were going to have a riot. There was nothing quite like that here. While there was excitement and there was anger, there was there was nothing that seemed to be on the verge of out of control. And it went into I think the I think the the finally it broke up the last folks left after nine o'clock. There I, we haven't heard if there's gonna be any more protests. Um 
or, or if there's you know if there's another step coming. Yeah, the, one of the other other rumors that, that went around was uh, you know none of these folks were local. I uh, I talked to like t- about 10, 10 people. Everyone I spoke with was from Union County. They were from Legrand, or they were from uh, they were from Elgin, or they were from Somerville. They were all here. They were all local. I didn't find any anyone that was not local. Um, that while it was predominantly a, a, a college age crowd, it was certainly a diverse crowd. Um, there was parents here with their kids, young kids. Uh, one father was packing a, an infant, uh, and there were there were retired folks. So um, and, and it spanned the the gamut on on from white folks to to people of color. So one thing that that folks emphasize, or as I ask, like, is this happened in the Grand before? So I'm pretty new here. Uh, no, no one has ever seen anything like this in the Grand before. Yeah, I, uh, I just wanted to touch on. I mean, I, I mean the the whole idea. I mean of the reports you were hearing over there in the grand fill and uh of people being bussed in and yeah. people coming from out of town i know that was uh something that got brought up as well around the hermiston freedom rally on saturday um leading into that event i mean there's some of the organizers said that they had heard reports that antifa was going to be uh mm-hmm. coming in from the tri-cities area um none of that proved to happen and i mean right. there's been uh, I believe it was just down in Medford. There was a report of uh, a, a protest they were having down there. Similar rumors started circulating about Antifa starting uh, uh, advocating for some rioting and looting at a certain area of the town. Uh, and that was from a tweet that went out. Well, some people did some investigating. Twitter said that they actually were able to link that tweet to a white supremacist group identity Europa, I believe is how it's pronounced. So that I, I, and that's what's gotten so complicated and difficult with this, uh, these protests is that you're getting so many different angles, so much division and people that are inserting themselves into it. I mean, as you brought up, Phil, somebody that showed up uh, at the protest uh, in person to physically disrupt it. And I mean, there was uh, there was some reports I, I caught up with uh, Pendleton Police Chief Stuart Roberts yesterday, and he did say that there was some reports of men downtown in Pendleton that were um, armed, uh, uh, some with rifles, some some just concealed carrying, but that they said they were out protecting businesses from from looters and, and rioting and such, which uh, Chief Roberts said did seem a little bit unnecessary, um, and that overall there wasn't any direct confrontations or problems with it but i mean i mean i think what you just start to see so much with these protests one with them starting the people then reacting to them is i mean even though maybe there wasn't as much tension at some of these protests at least here in umatilla county i mean people are angry and i mean that's that's getting very clear and people are uh People are both capitalizing off of that anger and uh, and wishing to incite more. Well, and those rumors, and I mean, that really kind of de- takes away from what the the point of the rallies are. And I I wonder if that's not their their what their motive is. Yeah, and I, I think that really is. I mean, you see it in a lot of. I mean, when it's political movements, there's going to be people from varying perspectives and that disagree about it that are going to attempt to. Uh, either use one person's words against them or, or use it to promote their own ideals. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's just something where we're getting so many different involved parties in this that are clashing and angry. But, I mean, I think what, what still comes about it is 
I mean, I think the, the biggest link between the Hermiston Freedom Rally and these Black Lives Matter protests that have uh, uh, been spurred by the, the murder of George Floyd, they are definitely separate in what's driving them. But that, that anger directed particularly at the government and the state is, I think, something that does link them. Because even though there wasn't a lot of tension at the Freedom Rally, listening to what a lot of them had to say, I mean, a lot of them were angry and were directly saying that, you know, the government needs to, to fear them. And that's for, obviously, a completely different issue than police brutality that these other protests have been about. But that regardless, I mean, and there's a lot of factors, I'm sure, that's driving it that we can get into, but it's this, all of this has created just a period of unrest that a lot of people are are wishing to channel in some way or another. Right. I think there's some interesting parallels of thought I had when these kind of we had these rallies very close uh, in, in terms of days, uh, is that uh, both in a way we're protesting uh, government uh, overreach in terms of the freedom rally. You had uh, you had the organizers and and the people talking, uh, making complaints that the state was uh, shutting down the economy um, in a way that was far more damaging than the pandemic and um, wasn't constitutional. And uh, in the in these Black Lives Matters, these George Floyd protests, you had uh, the organizers and the people participating saying that um, police being able to act with impunity and being able to uh, be shielded from punishment and from the repercussions of uh, taking a life was uh, a, was a form of government overreach and that there needed to be a greater sense of accountability. Um, it, it, they, they seemed, I wouldn't say they were two sides of the same coin, but they were, but they were making uh, the same basic argument, but would probably not agree with each other at all um, in terms of, of their politics. So I, I thought that was an interesting parallel Um it, but also in the sense that almost everybody in the uh, in the Black Lives Matter um, protest in Pendleton was wearing a face mask, um, and that was something that was asked for. Um, so uh, they at least they weren't trying to make the point that the the country should reopen sooner. So. Yeah, it was definitely a, an, an interesting parallel. Myself being at both the Freedom Rally on Saturday and then at uh, both the Hermiston uh, Black Lives Matter protests and the uh, Pendleton ones to see kind of how those things differed. I mean, lots of the folks at the, I mean, if not almost everyone at the Black Lives Matter protests were wearing masks and things like that. Um, I think it was really interesting just to see that kind of divide. Whereas when I was at the Freedom Rally and whatnot, I was wearing a mask. I was getting, you know, kind of weird looks from people. I mean, one person referred to me as a COVID-idiot. Um, so <laughs> kind of seeing those, um, that differing response is really interesting. Yeah, and we haven't talked really yet about Hermiston, as Ben just mentioned, also had a Black Lives Matter protest. And so if you consider that with the Essential Not Sacrificial and the Hermiston Freedom Rally, Hermiston had essentially three protests in three days, which everyone's favorite word in 2020 is unprecedented, but that really is unprecedented. I've covered Hermiston for about seven years now, and 
covered a few small immigration related rallies but usually when you talk about like the women's march the big national climate change protests uh ones around gun control that's usually pendleton those are the ones that you know if people in hermiston want to participate they go over and participate in the pendleton one and so as editor of the Hermiston Herald yesterday, trying to put together today's paper on the front page and figure out how to try and give people as equal billing as possible. And you just look at the front page and it's just photo after photo of all different people from all different walks of life protesting all different things. It's as Antonio talked about that sense of just unrest. I've, I've never seen that in Hermiston quite so much, even though you know, like I said, we've we've had some small gatherings about uh, like the drivers' cards a few years ago when that was an issue, um, and and everything stayed peaceful, but there was still definitely just that simmering anger underneath that you could see a little bit. Yeah, kind of remember like it used to be when we would get a tip that there was going to be a protest or a rally, that we would kind of roll our eyes and say, okay, well, you know, we'll we'll see what's up and then we go out there and there might be like a handful of people or sometimes there'd be nobody. And it would, so yeah, it's definitely seems like a lot has changed in the past few years. And you even just go back into the archives and you're not going to find a lot of articles about people uh, protesting war or civil rights or anything like that. These are just not traditionally what these communities are about. Um, so it, you know, to a person um, who doesn't live here, 100 people, 200 people doesn't seem like a lot, especially compared to the thousands of people who have showed up um, in Minneapolis and New York and Washington, D.C. Portland. And even clo yeah, closer to home in yeah. Portland. Um, but uh, but it, it is a pretty big deal out here to have that many people, um, especially considering the politics of the region. Yeah, I mean, when you – you would kind of brought up that – you know, the pandemic underlying all of it. And the, you can see the contrast in the, these rallies uh, of, you know, who's wearing masks and things like that. But the pandemic is still, and everything that's gone on this year, I mean, it's, and I mean, in Uintilla County, the, the flooding, I mean, Union County had some as well over there. So, I mean, out here in Eastern Oregon, the flooding adds to all this as well. And it, it's, it's kind of that, that period where, I mean, I, I know, I'm sure people following the news, I know for those of us that are covering it and living it day to day, it's crazy and it's been hectic every single day. And there's been the past week has seemed like one of the, the, the more insane weeks that we've had in news coverage. But it's also, you know, it's just one other week in this this year. And I, I think that's that's building up for everybody. And I think that's why, I mean, we're, we're seeing it's, and it's not just unprecedented protesting for, for here in Eastern Oregon. I mean, there's reports of protests in all 50 States. And, you know, I saw reports of protesting in at least 20 plus countries yesterday. Um, so, I mean, it's, this pandemic is, is I think undoubtedly a contributing factor to the unrest, the uncertainty and, I, I also look at it at a time of we did this did obviously also happen right near the end of the month as well when people's rents are due and there hasn't been a lot of uh, guidance and certainty provided by the state in terms of uh, relief from rents and mortgages and, and just day-to-day -day living for people. So 
it, it really, I, I, I mean, it, it's unprecedented, and it's, it, it, is, it, it is pretty amazing to see what's happening here locally and then all, riding that out all the way around the world. But then you look at all the contributing factors, and it's, it, it seems pretty logical as well. I don't think it's, it's definitely not uh, some one-off that, that people here as well, where they haven't organized in the past, are organizing more and more to protest. One of the things that happened here on the ground that was seemed kind of interesting in this was uh, the group of guys who showed up to make sure there was law and order. Um, uh, several of the protesters broke ranks and went over and engaged with them for probably a half hour or more. Uh, you know, kind of find, you had to get a sense of why they were there, who they were. Um, I don't think anyone solved any kind of uh, racial tensions, but uh, they, they certainly um, were showing that they're willing to you know, they're willing to listen to to all sides in this conversation and and try to meet some kind of uh, common ground. So um, I think, you know, and, and to show, I think that, uh, is, you know, while they have protests on, they have signs that say Black Lives Matter, the, they're not saying that other lives don't matter. You know, that kind of notion that is that so many, many have, have, who are opposed to these kind of movements have, have espoused. Well, I'm interested, uh, you know, Jade a minute ago mentioned Hermiston has had, had three, three in three days. You know, Pendleton's had one. Legrand has done it twice now. Do you guys, and, and we've seen in, you know, the bigger cities that this has been an ongoing, uh, they've had rallies night after night after night. Do you guys anticipate more? Do you think this is the first of, first of many to come, or do you think this is, it's one and done? Well, there's, there's already discussion on Facebook about there being another rally on Saturday um, I think the, the difficulty whenever you're trying to continue to keep this issue in the spotlight is, is holding people's attention and people have work, people have lives and they take time out of it to do this because it's important to them. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's kind of hard to sustain that, uh, after kind of all the liberal protests of 17 and 18, they just kind of stopped after a while and people, moved on um but it, it's always hard to say uh what the future will hold especially in these times um you know if you hold a rally on saturday that allows a lot more people who wish they could have been come to the other one to participate this time and so uh there could be this is something that could be sustained for a while and um and as Alex said, there's a lot of other factors going on. More people are out of work. Um, people are getting sick. Um, the, you know, the, it's not. This is something that isn't just happening in a vacuum. It's it, it's a product of its environment. So, um, you know, and we are also getting closer to a federal election, and that always raises tensions, no matter what year it is. So, um, we could we could only be seeing the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of it points to more of that. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I think we'll see some more sporadic uh, organizing happening here locally, and maybe some more regular and consistent rallies being held. But I mean, I think a lot of the other major cities in the country have made it pretty clear. I mean, we are. I think it'll be essentially seven. It'll be a week straight of this uh, pretty soon, and. You know, eventually, eventually they will die down and they will go away in some way or another. But it's it, it is just that thing of well, we, there's 
all these unprecedented times happening. So I think that this this is a unique opportunity for those that that are trying to have their voices heard and are trying to trying to do this. I mean, I think for a lot of them, it's it it seems as this is the time. There's no better time to do it. And that uh, you know, I think it's really it's the thing you hear from so many uh, people, whether it's. Uh, government leaders, police leaders, protesters, activists, everybody right now. I mean, it's it's still the thing of the same time, you know, this particular, these particular protests, specifically around Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd, you know, we had Eric Garner in 2014. And we had, we've had so many instances of these in the past that have spurred uh, brief, uh, brief unrest that, that then eventually leave the spotlight. And in the end, we don't see much change since then. I mean, there's just not a lot of tangible change to point to uh, when it comes to police reform and police brutality since 2014. So it, it, it there's definitely that. longer than 2014. I mean, you go back to like uh, to 1967, you know, arguably. Exactly. So with King. So exactly. So I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of the. And and plus, on top of all of that, I mean, I we. we with the pandemic still underlying all of this, I mean, there's a lot of what our coverage going into that Freedom Rally was, was also about the public health risks of it. And we will likely see some connection to, especially right now, I mean, these this virus was already hitting uh, communities of color disproportionately. Those communities are now out protesting and gathering uh, more than, than others. So I assume that we're going to see more of that. And it's just... It, there's so many there's so many extra things to that will kind of follow this that aren't even directly related to the protests themselves so it, it, it's kind of the that's why it we, i think we've talked about this quite a bit of like what is the story of 2020 and right now i mean at least it feels like kind of this overlap of everything going on and the after effects that are going to come for the next few months is, is kind of it well in february was the floods and yeah. then in march it's in march on it's been the virus yeah yeah and i i think i remember like walking out of the newsroom with you andrew at something like 11 o'clock at night during one of the floods and saying oh you know that is going to be the story of the year yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like thinking ahead to that and yeah yeah it, we were very wrong i i one of the consistent themes i noticed when i was covering the protest is that people were energized people were chanting people seemed um you know, like they were active participants, but then you'd pull them away and do an interview and people just seemed tired, especially amongst the black protesters I talked to. There's just a wariness that yeah. they had to, that they were dealing with this again, that, that, yeah. uh, that after all the unrest of the past few years, that they're, they just seemed like it was the same situation with different names attached. And they were, adamant that this was going to be a peaceful protest that this you know that they weren't here to loot or to riot and they weren't condoning some of the activity they're going on in other cities but that that this is something that they had to do and that they understood all the anger that was going on in the rest of the country and they didn't want to have to be here but it felt there's something that compelled them to 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 be there and to be in a very public spot with everyone in town driving by um, so it, it, it was, it was an interesting dynamic between, uh, being energized and being angry and being tired and being scared, um, to, you know, a few 
a few people shared their stories of being profiled and 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 it feeling very personal to them and feeling like it could be them or it could be their family member that was next and i mean i think we saw in some ways that same kind of reactionary uh i think in some ways we saw that same kind of reactionary approach when you saw i mean there were many people driving by honking their horns supporting uh protesters in the the Black Lives Matters protests, both in uh, Pendleton and Hermiston. But there were also, I mean, several cars, uh, especially, you know, big diesel pickup trucks rolling coal past uh, past the groups of protesters. And you kind of watch everyone, you know, scutter back a little bit, try and catch their breath again. And I mean, also seeing, I mean, just profanity shouted at some of the protesters um, of, of varying degrees and Middle fingers, middle fingers, then yeah. blue line flags. Um, yeah, there was there was definitely that. There was no, there was a group of people that were singing and playing guitar across the street. I didn't get the chance to talk to them. So if anybody in our audience knows who they are, hit me up. <laughs> I was interested yeah. in what they were what they wanted to do. But yeah, there was yeah there was there was there was no organized counter protest, but there were definitely people unhappy that they were there. Sure. And, and one of the, the things that uh, you touched on, Antonio, was you know the you know why folks were there. There's this whole I've heard the criticism like do they even know where they're protesting? And I, I talked to a, a guy who grew up in Mitchell, about the size of a postage stamp, if you know the town. And uh, uh, he's a he's a person of color, and he recounted how growing up he had to, his classmates through racial slurs his way, and so now he's he's graduated from college. He's still around this community. He doesn't want his children to grow up in a world where the color of their skin dictates their treatment or their mistreatment, or the color of their skin means that if they're they're going to be the next. George Floyd. So, I mean, the, the, the idea that uh, these guys don't know what they're doing out there is, is ludicrous. They, they're fully aware of why they're protesting. And I think, I, I mean, it should be mentioned, I mean, with the Hermiston Freedom Rally as well, since we have kind of included it in just in this discussion. And I, I mean, because there, there was one direct counter protester that, that showed up um, holding a sign with that had an expletive <laughs> directed at President Trump, um, and he 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 stood there pre- just pretty much quietly throughout most of the the rally, and uh, people blocked the the sign with their American flags. Um, and I was able to speak with him, and I you know he he wished to stay off the record and didn't feel comfortable uh, being quoted, so wasn't that wasn't included in the story necessarily. But I do I, I mean I think it should be said that also of that rally, I mean. I can say that what brought him out to that rally was also the other unrest, the the killing of George Floyd, police brutality. That 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 was that helped compel him to 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 go out there. But it was that events associations with white supremacy that really felt is why he felt he had to be there. So I mean, I I do think it. I mean, we we do have to differentiate the definitely the purposes of these rallies and the messages that they were. We're sending um, because, as as Jade kind of alluded to or, and touched on in her when she summarized the rally. I mean, there's a guy in Joey Gibson there who has since renounced connections to, but had associated with and seemed to promote and protect uh, groups like the Proud Boys and that Identity Europa that I mentioned earlier that were uh, kind of trying to incite some violence during the rallies. Um, 
so there's there definitely is that that conflict here locally where there's for those that are right now standing up for for and saying black lives matter they do feel that there's far right ideologies and and that they have to work against directly um and that that young uh black man that day he came out and he he felt that he had to do that um so especially as we we talk about you know future rallies i they did talk about at the freedom rally that they they want to have a second one and i'm curious to see how tensions can arise between these two movements that are definitely on different sides of the political spectrum um but are both very angry right now and motivated to get out and have their voices heard and out here where we're seeing more organization for protests like black lives matter that we haven't seen in the past that's going to i think directly conflict with those on the opposite side that are going to continue it seems like protesting the reopening uh regulations but also just having these kind of rallies in general that though the the organizers wanted to remain apolitical it definitely veered off and touched on more uh, right-wing policies and ideologies. So in other, in other rallies we've seen, uh, you know, I, I just read a story today about a Tampa Bay Times reporter and photographer who were detained at a rally last night. Uh, did, what did you guys experience at your rallies? Any, any feedback from any of the protesters, uh, positive or negative? Yeah, I mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier, which is the Freedom Rally, and I'll just touch on it again briefly. I mean, I, I wore a mask there as well. Um, definitely got some some looks from from people. I, you know, I didn't hear anything directly. I did have there was somebody that that came up to me and uh, angry about a story that we didn't write about the rally <laughs> that thought I authored it. That was the most direct confrontation I I had. Otherwise, you know, Jade was there and I think she had tweeted about there's some people saying some things behind my back a little bit loudly as I was doing interviews with other people. Um, but definitely, I mean, and in that regard, when we're comparing that to other right-wing rallies uh or just uh reopening rallies um those uh there definitely wasn't the same level of tension between the media and protesters there um and rally goers but otherwise um yeah i mean i i i think that it was really there wasn't much tension at all between the media uh and the rally itself yeah, I think being, you know, there's a photographer oftentimes, you know, a reporter that can go up to someone if someone doesn't want to talk, you know, they don't really like they can just choose not to talk and they can walk away. You know, as a photographer, oftentimes you're you're shooting photos of people and, and either they're, you know, they're not realizing it or they're thinking that you're doing something that you're not. And, you know, it was definitely interesting to see on both sides of the spectrum, you know, the, the Black Lives Matters protests and the uh the freedom rally to see, you know, we were in some ways welcomed. I mean, there were many people that said, you know, thank you for coming out here and, and seeing this and, and thank well, the you for rally practically begged us to, to come out. Yeah. They I mean, wanted plenty of coverage. Yeah. And there was the organizers and people there at the rally said, thank you for coming out and, and talking to us. So, yeah. I mean, there, there were definitely some people that were hesitant to speak for one reason or another, but at every event you go to, there is, yeah. I mean, even if you go to a Christmas party, there's people hesitant to speak about <laughs> yeah. Christmas. I mean, yeah. so, so that's not necessarily unheard of, but I think the, the reaction that we saw from many people where they're willing to, you know, come forward, share their stories of, of varying degrees on both sides of the spectrum and, uh, kind of 
share that with us and let us uh, kind of hear that story and add that to a reporting. I mean, I think uh, like Alex's Freedom Rally story, I, I noticed that the uh, Oregonian put out a story as well. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, they hadn't talked to anyone associated with the rally. So it was definitely different to be able to have those people welcoming us, talking to us. And I think that that's one of the big differences you see when you see kind of the the local papers and local journalism operations, be it news stations or things like that, when you compare them to the national news. I mean, in a lot of, on both sides, I mean, there's uh, titles tied with national news that, that offend people. I mean, you look at it, uh, Fox News to the left and CNN to the right. I mean... There's definitely those divides there. Yeah, and I mean, there was, and regardless of, uh, you know, the fact that we're we're doing it on a local level, I mean, like I said, somebody came up in that article that was written by the Oregonian that didn't talk to anybody with the rally, people there were upset with me about that, even though I obviously didn't have anything to do with it. And so that's that's kind of, you know, that's that's part of the game. We're, we're local journalists, but we are still the media. And, you know, we have to navigate that representation and, ident- and the way people identify us that way as well. Um, and that definitely came into to play this past weekend. If yeah. you're listening, you missed Alex's air quotes on the media. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, the media. So as Alex mentioned, uh, I did overhear uh, some comments about him he had been going around interviewing several different people who were attending the freedom rally and and the counter protester was leaving so he ran to catch him and uh, you know there's people oh of course he's going to go talk to them and and then one guy went on a rant about how he hates the eo and you know if if everybody just doesn't buy advertising or doesn't buy the paper then we'll go out of business which that was a little bit ironic considering the supposedly pro-business genesis of the rally but uh other than that you know that was it nobody said anything to me directly and you know going into the rally that clip had just gone viral online of a long island television reporter everybody's like screaming at him and calling him fake news and and getting in his face and things and and so you know part of being a reporter is knowing that sometimes you're going to have to go places that you're very much not welcome and not wanted and and so there's a little bit of not apprehension that it might be like that but overall people were polite and just either left us alone or engaged in some way as far as giving their names for photo captions or uh giving interviews to alex and so I appreciated that. And same with the Black Lives Matter protest on Monday and the Essential Not Sacrifice protest as they were getting started. People were kept saying, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for documenting this. And so I, I appreciated that. That's always nice to see, especially since I, I follow mostly journalists on Twitter right now. And my newsfeed has just been video after video after video of journalists being tear gassed and hit and shot with pepper balls and all sorts of bad things and so it's it's nice to not have quite as much of that worry covering things out here in eastern oregon yeah i mean i I, attending the black lives matter protest i didn't receive pushback from either protesters or police i mean the police just kept their distance the entire time there really was no need for interaction they weren't there in riot gear they weren't there with uh with uh military grade equipment um so uh there really wasn't much to write about there 
Um, but, uh, you know, the thing that I always come back to with Eastern Oregon is everyone, everyone's incredibly polite. <laughs> no one wants to be viewed as a jerk, no matter what part of the political spectrum they're on. So I've rarely gotten a level of anger beyond uh, being peeved or exasperated or annoyed. If somebody doesn't want to talk to you, they just tell you that curtly and just kind of go their, go on their way. Um, and yeah, everyone, um, almost everyone there I was willing to, was willing to talk. A few people didn't want to go on the record, but that just comes with the territory. That just comes with the territory and, and everyone was nice about it. And, um, you know, uh, I think, it, you know, but going into it, you are a little concerned now in a way that I wasn't when I've covered previous rallies. I mean, uh, as Jade said, I mean, the images are just all over the news of reporters out there doing their jobs and, um, you know, getting life altering injuries from it. And um, it we're you know, we here at the East Oregonian, we're not just reporters. We're also news consumers. So we're following it constantly. And it could be traumatizing just watching it from afar and then having to go home and having discussions with your loved ones about, um, you know, what do you, you know, what is your plan for if this situation goes haywire? And I mean, you don't think it's going to happen in this community, but, but you never know. And you have to have that idea in the back of your mind about what am I going to do? Um, we talk a lot, you know, the, the cliche is that, um, reporting is the first draft of history and you want to be involved in it and you're excited to be a part of important news and things that are new and exciting. Um, but, um, you know, personal safety isn't always something you have in your mind and, and, and it, it's now something that, that needs to be, um, especially with all the violence happening all over the country and all over the world. But I know, like I've been getting emails from the various, uh, professional associations, uh, related to journalism that I am a part of or follow. And, and I mean, one after another, it's, you know, here's how to stay safe. Here's what you need to pack with you. Here's what you need to do if you get tear gassed. Here's what you know, one scenario after another, uh, just reminding us to be safe and to take that thought as we're moving through uh, our reporting. So I think I think up here is is sort of similar to to Hermiston and Pendleton. The local the local cops know who we are, and we uh, to some degree know them. So that that uh, gives us a, an inherent advantage. Um, they're much more, they might ask us to move along, but, uh, it's hard to imagine, uh, here that a local officer is going to really come down cracking on a, on a journalist. Um, I think we're probably much more likely to get a confrontation from the, from the sources we're talking to than from the local police. So I think that's probably true of everywhere. Yeah. As we wind this episode down, uh, any final thoughts from anybody on, on sort of the weekend, uh, and wrote rallies to this point and kind of anything moving forward. You know what, this, I'm actually have this in a, in a column I'm working on, but you know, there's, I've, you've guys have probably seen the quote out there a lot from, uh, from King, a riot is a language of the unheard. Um, as I've seen, you know, all over my social media, um, I, I just think it's important to understand that the, the context of that quote, it's, it's those eight words that comes in a much lengthier statement where King is talking about, uh, white oppression of African Americans, and 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 that the society is still tolerant of that. Uh, I, I, I think it's, one of the things I think is difficult in this whole thing is uh, in this whole group of discussion. We have one reporter right here as a person of color, and that's Antonio. The rest of us are white folks covering this thing. And I think it's something to be cognizant of. 
Yeah. And I, I just, that was kind of when I'm reporting into this, you know, it was important for me to talk to the protesters of color there. I mean, there were not just, um, uh, black protesters, but there were also a, like a pretty sizable contingent of CTUIR protesters and hope to follow up more with them at some point about their motivations for being there. Um, but it was important for me. Uh, it's very easy to go anywhere in Pendleton in Eastern Oregon and find a room full of white people <laughs> and have that be the only people you talk to for a story. Um, so, you know, it's Pendleton. So I think probably, you know, the majority of people there were white and it would have been very easy for me to talk to 10 white people and tell them and, and talk to them about being allies and talk to them about the pain they feel. Um, but it, when you're reporting, you always try to talk to people that are personally affected by an issue. And, um, that was important for me. And even though not all of them made the story, they all informed, uh, my way of of trying to describe their perspective and 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 uh, to talk about the motivation of of the rally so it was really important for me to to get their perspectives and i hope just hope in future protests that that's who we're able to talk to in the same way that if we were covering the freedom rally that talking to that single counter protester would not have been uh demonstrable of of what what message they were trying to get across yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's I, I think it's a really important thing for us to bear in mind the biases and identities that we are we're all personally carrying into these these stories as we move forward because I can say as yeah, as a, a young white guy that grew also grew up in a small logging town in Oregon, it's way easier for me and for the sources that I'm working with in say the Hermiston Freedom Rally for them to trust me and for me to to be able to connect with them just on that identity aspect so i mean it's it, it's just the the rem the digging and finding the the those sources and those voices here locally that that are still being personally affected because it, and, and i think I, i've seen some some stats uh recently as people are are starting to kind of talk about this at a broader uh from a broader perspective is you know, our communities out here in in Umatilla and, and Morrow County as, as well, I mean, our, uh, dis, there's more non-white communities and, and uh, larger populations than elsewhere in the state. So, I mean, there's, even though we're in a rural, rural Eastern Oregon, it's not, uh, you know, we, we have to, we have to dig and make sure that we're still representing the voices that that are here that are being affected and not to uh to minimize those and i also think you know just on the the topic of the violence against media as well and i mean i i definitely think we i'm sure we all uh are very proud that we we work in the same profession as those that are out there covering those protests right now but it's and of course we want i want them to be as safe as possible but it is definitely so essential and and vital that they're there because we so often talk about in our profession we we have that you know we have the freedom of the press we have that constitutional protection it's also a, a constitutional protection for people to to peacefully assemble and we're seeing reports of police violence started from uh against peaceful protesters as well along with the media and so I think it's just it's important to to keep that perspective of uh, uh, of 
just how important the, the work is that they're doing out there and that we we need to even though we're, we're not dealing with the same situations out here we need to 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 keep trying to elevate those those voices that that matter and need to be heard out here and i think drawing from that i mean one of the most uh intriguing clips to me i'm from eugene originally uh this week was watching uh staff from the register guard the local paper in eugene uh identify so eugene had curfews this week and uh reporters were specifically exempted from that curfew and to watch reporters identify themselves as media to the police and the police respond i don't care or it doesn't matter um and to have those kind of those responses and that that thought that you know this this freedom this specifically exempted freedom within the curfews whatever you may think about those um was completely ignored so Me, uh, you know, as a white person who has grown up in towns my whole life, who, where in some cases there was a predominant Latino population, but it's always been majority white uh, and probably less than 1% uh, Black residents. And so, you know, and a lot of the Black residents are maybe people who were adopted by white families. Uh, but I did one summer when I was in college do an internship for the New York Daily News and I lived in Harlem during that for eight weeks and it was such an eye-opening experience and just saw a really different side of life doing that um, and you know dur during that eight weeks I was there I witnessed two white police officers draw their guns on a black man and I didn't really have context for I didn't know you know, maybe he was a murder suspect. Maybe it was a stop and frisk situation. I, I still to this day don't really know what was happening, but I definitely look at that in a different lens now than I did back then as a college student before you had, uh, you know, Eric Garner and George Floyd and, and all the people in between. And, you know, so I think there's definitely still learning that everybody has to do especially in our communities that we're covering where there is such a small black population. And I know probably at the paper, we don't always get it right either. And I hope people are patient with us as we continue that. Uh, and, and I hope that people on the other side are willing to listen to those voices of people of color that we are trying to write in the paper. Well said. And I think with that, we'll, we'll, put a pin in it and wrap it up we could probably continue on for there's a lot of lot of ground to cover but we have, we have covered a lot of ground in this in this episode and i uh, want to thank everybody for uh joining us uh alex castle antonio sierra jade mcdowell ben lonergan and phil wright uh, i'm andrew cutler and we, we thank you for downloading and listening to this and we will talk to you next time this has been in the newsroom